Well, happy 4th of July weekend. The introduction to the Declaration of Independence says that we should all be able to pursue happiness. In theory, that pursuit is to be done within the bounds of the law and without violating the rights of others. Yet, when we talk about the pursuit of happiness, happiness is not the easiest thing to define. It's probably actually easier to define happiness when you don't have it. And clearly, many, if not most, Americans don't have it. That might be a clue to us, to the, as the saying goes, you can't buy happiness. We're such a rich nation, and yet uh, you know, so many other nations are so much poorer than we are, and the, the people are much happier. There's actually a a, a documentary on that called Happiness. It's very, very interesting. Uh, I think you can watch it online. And the title of our message today is Finding True Happiness. Finding True Happiness. Our text is Psalm 1. It's an introduction uh, to the book of Psalms. And the Psalms were written a long time before Jesus lived, but clearly point to the coming of Jesus in some of the Psalms. And Psalm 1 is what we call a wisdom psalm. It's teaching us how to live, but also how not to live. Or you might want to reverse it, how not to live and how to live. Uh, Bible scholars sometimes refer to this as the doctrine of two ways. There's two ways to live, uh, God's way and not God's way. God's way and people who insist on living their own way or what sometimes is referred to as the world's way. Now, many people to this date still love, and I'm sure uh, uh, quite a number of people down the Jersey Shore closed bars by listening to this song last night, Frank Sinatra's 1969 hit, uh, My Way. And that's a, a lot of people love that song. You might be interested to know that Frank Sinatra did not write that song. And he said that the song kind of stuck to his shoes. You know, you step, step on something and it, it sticks to your shoes. You can't get rid of it. People, he probably doing a concert. Everybody's like, my way, sing my way all night long and probably knowing that he was going to end the night with it. And Frank himself, or his daughter reported that Frank said that he felt that the song was rather self-serving and self-indulgent. Well, God would probably agree, and in fact, God would tell us that long-term, you and I will never be happy or never content by doing things just our way. And Psalm 1 tells us where and how to find happiness. So we want to divide our text today into three different things, three different points for those of you that are taking notes. The first point is basically the sermon. It's, 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 it's really long because it is so very practical, and so we're going to spend a lot of time on there. And the first point on that, and the first point is, true happiness is found in godly living. True happiness is found in godly living. And oddly enough, the psalmist starts with a negative. He starts with what the godly or what the righteous do not do. He says, blessed or happy. Uh, some versions say, oh, how happy. Now, it's plural, so it's speaking to a group of people. 
So he's telling us how happy we can be. What does that tell us? Happiness is possible. God believes that happiness is possible. And Jesus will talk in the same kind of language centuries later in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Blessed or happy is the man who, and he gives us three things. One, walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor two, stands in the path of sinners, nor three, sits in the seat of the scornful. The Holman Christian Standard Bible translates this verse this way. How happy is the man. Now, that's man used generically in the Bible for man or woman. How happy is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path of sinners or join in a group of mockers. In Scripture, to be, to be blessed or to be happy is to be content. It is to be fulfilled as a result of something. As a result of what? As a result of living the God-directed life. It is a result of having a relationship with God, letting Him direct your life, and living that out, and God says, if you do that, you will be blessed, you will be happy. Now, this is in a very, very important key to happiness. Some of you might know people, I'm not going to say it's you, but you might know people whose main goal in life is to be happy. And you look at them and you go, they're pretty miserable. Because if being happy is your only goal, it's one of those things that it comes and it goes. I'm happy today. I'm not happy tomorrow. I'm happy today. I'm not happy tomorrow. And God is seeking to put a deep-rooted happiness or blessedness uh, within us. So, so happiness actually does not come from pursuing happiness. Happiness comes from pursuing something else, and happiness is a result of it. God designed us that a God-directed life is the only way that we can truly experience a sense of well-being and a sense of satisfaction. So in essence, for a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're joining us this morning, you're not. I'm really glad that you're with us today. This is very important for your, for your own knowledge of, of how to be happy, how to be blessed, we are a tremendously privileged people that we have this opportunity. And this blessedness, this happiness, is a gift that God offers to all people. But if someone does not receive Jesus as Lord and Savior... They have not positioned themselves for godliness, and this happiness will be impossible to receive. It will be impossible to receive this gift from God. Now, here he talks, and he's presumably talking to followers of Yahweh, it written, again, written before Jesus was born, and, and, he, and he tells them 
uh, one way to position yourself, one way for all of us to position ourselves for happiness is in what we must avoid. What we must avoid. We must avoid the influence of certain kinds of people in our lives. In order to be happy, we must think and we must act correctly, which the psalmist says means, if that we're going to get there, we'll be talking about that more as we go along, we have to avoid the ungodly counsel or, as some versions say, the advice of the wicked. Well, well, who are the ungodly? Who are the wicked in God's eyes? They are the people who are not right with God. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, it's very important that you understand this. Very, very important. And I think for a lot of us, with some of our friends or our family members or co-workers, it's very important that we understand this as well. Notice I said that scholars refer to this as the doctrine of two ways. There's no middle ground. So it's not like I'm a follower of Jesus or I'm kind of a follower of Jesus or I'm not a follower of Jesus. There's, there's no middle ground. You are or you are not. It, it is one or the other. And in God's eyes, to be wicked is to trust in yourself instead of him. It's to be selfish and to live for yourself. Now, most people don't consider themselves selfish, but if most people are honest, if they really analyze their lives, they're living for themselves. Now, this is something that (laughs) religious people have to be very much aware of this. In Israel, a lot of the people uh, attended the temple. And when you look at the advice that a lot of them were receiving, you look at Jesus' day and the advice that was coming from the, the clergy was absolutely horrible. And in our day, some of the worst counsel I have ever heard in my life comes from church people, comes from sometimes even pulpits. And often it comes at us in such subtle ways often well-meaning, nice people trying to change our way of thinking over to their way of thinking or just trying to say, well, you would be happy if you did this, even if it's against what God said. The Apostle Paul's well-known verse, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he wrote this, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Perhaps you've heard J.B. Phillips' just classic paraphrase of that. He wrote this, Do not let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. So he says, Christian, don't let the world take you and squeeze you into their mold, to their way of thinking. But let God remold your minds from within. So our minds need to be remolded from within so that you may prove in practice the way you live that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. Now going back to verse 1 of Psalm 1, did you notice the progression Walking with the ungodly, 
than standing with the sinners, than sitting with the scornful. Some of your verses say sitting with the scoffers. Some of them say sitting with the mockers. The person whose worldview mocks God. And what, what does all of this mean? This is really, uh, really applicable to all of us, but young people really pay attention here. This is, it goes something like this. You're listening to the thinking of the wicked. You're listening to the people who do not have a relationship with God, don't care about God. And next thing you know, you're sort of participating with them. And before you know it, you're actually now sitting with them and mocking them, mocking with them those who might try to live a different way, perhaps even now planning the next thing that you're going to do that would not be pleasing to God. Now, this reminds me of being back in in middle school and high school and watching how some kids went from maybe one crowd and then they ended up in in the drug crowd. And the drug crowd is very, very welcoming. A lot of times with middle school and high school kids, they're not very welcoming. Uh, but the, middle, the, the drug crowd is very, very welcoming until you want to leave. Then they're not quite so welcoming. And so what happens was that it's people who were maybe they were involved in sports or activities or something like that. And they started to be around the general acceptance of the drug crowd. And they, and they listened. And then they participated. And then before you knew it, they were mocking out those who did not participate in drugs and alcohol and and partying. So sometimes, as a pastor in many years in youth ministry, I've had parents say to me, I would really love it if you could talk to my son or daughter and you could really find out what's going on in their life. And I'll often say, I'm not trying to be a smart guy, but I really don't need to talk to them. Let me talk to their friends, and their friends will let me know what's going on in their life. And you say, well, how does that happen? Well, I trick them. I'll say, do you smoke weed? And they'll go, no, I don't smoke weed. And I go, really? How many of your friends smoke weed? And they go, they all do. <laughs> so, so I go, so you're the exception. And they kind of go like, well, maybe not. I'm not the exception or something like that. So, so there, is a, there is a crowd mentality to that. Now, here's the pushback I know that I'm going to get from some of you right now. Some of you are looking at the screen right now and going, I wish I could stare him down on this one because I know he likes to preach off the eyes of the audience and and he could know exactly what I'm thinking. Some of you are thinking right now, but Jesus ate with sinners. Easy. Easy, killer. It's okay. I understand that. All right. I didn't say to avoid the people. What did I say? I said to avoid their influence. Avoid their way of thinking and their way of living, where self is God. Avoid their peer pressure and avoid those who mock God. Now, some of you, would you're quick to jump in. Okay, okay, you got your way out of that one almost, Pastor Jim. But we're all sinners. 100% agreed. I don't know anybody who sins more than me. Some of you are like, I don't know anybody who sins more than you either, Pastor Jim. Yes, you do. It's you. Here, when, we, when he's talking about sinners, he's talking about people whose lives are dominated by their inclination to sin. In other words, they constantly give into it and really don't give it much thought uh, at all. And then what do they do? 
they be, then begin to invite or pressure other people to join in with them in their sin. I had once read a story of a woman who turned 104 years old. That's pretty old. 104. And they said to her, it's really kind of funny, they said to her, what's the greatest part about being 104? And her answer was, there's no more peer pressure. <laughs> so, so, so you got to be 104 to outgrow peer pressure. And here's the reality is, you and I can't avoid the influence of this world. We can't avoid sinners. 1 Corinthians 5.10, the Apostle Paul said, if you want to avoid them, then you would have to go out of this world. But it's, I want to go back to something for one second because it's very important to understand this. Okay, loved ones, please listen to me on this. Don't be so naive as to think that you are not under the counsel of this world. Do not, please do not be so naive to think as you are not under the advice of this world. If you read a newspaper, some of you are like, what's a newspaper? Okay, you read a newspaper, a magazine, watch television, go on the internet, listen to your friends. Each time you're listening to so many different types of counsel. Okay, you cannot escape it. So you have to have a filter through which to analyze it because our minds are influenced. I'll often, again, speak with young people, and they'll talk about a friendship that they're having. And I will say that a good friendship encourages you to do good things. A really good friendship encourages you to follow Jesus. But a bad friendship is a friendship that is going to take you away from Jesus. Good friendship encourages you to follow Jesus, or you're being used to encourage others to do good and to follow Jesus. Bad friendship is one that is dragging you into not following Jesus. And the consequences, young people, please listen to an old man. The consequences of following bad counsel are real. And there is tons and tons and tons of really bad counsel on your cell phone. There is tons of it. Okay, you say, so what's the godly person like? Thank you for asking. I'm so glad you asked that question. Verse 2, but his. Who's he? The blessed man, the happy man from verse 1. But his delight, oh man, circle that word in your Bible. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law, the law of the Lord, he, the happy, the blessed man, meditates day and night. Stay with me on this. Stay with me on this. So what keeps the godly, Man or woman, away from evil. It's the same thing that keeps the godly man or woman happy and blessed. Drum roll, please. What is it? It is the pursuit of pleasure. Now, some of you are going, that sounds really sinful, because you have the wrong idea of pleasure. He says here, you, the pursuit of pleasure is what? 
chasing after what you delight in. And what does he say this man, woman, that is happy and blessed, that is godly, what do they delight in? The law of the Lord. So their pleasure is chasing, their delight, their pleasure, their delight is chasing after the law of the Lord. Now this is so important. Stay with me. If you've been around the church for a while, you've perhaps heard some negative things about the law of God. Perhaps those negative things have actually come out of your mouth. You say, the law. Ah, ah, that's a bunch of rules. That's a bunch of restrictions. I, I can't delight in that. You know what? You could be right. You could be right if you don't know what it means. If you don't want to know what it means. The word law, Torah, often refers to the first five books of the Bible, which is why people might be of that opinion. But it's a broader word as well. It also means the teaching and instruction that we get from the Lord. So the law can simply refer to the word of God. And the psalmist says, that's my delight. That, that's the pursuit of pleasure and passion that I am on. Why? Because that's how we find happiness. That's how we find contentment. So actually, by delighting in the law of the Lord, by pursuing God in his word, that's actually, if you want to be happy, that's actually how we get what we want. Remember, it is a gift from the Lord. That's how we get that gift from the Lord. Where don't we get true happiness? From the selfish ways of the world. Why? Because that's not the way God made us. Now, it saddens me, and we may talk a little bit more about this this Wednesday. It saddens me that so many unstudied pastors. Now, you say unstudied pastors. Oh, there's a lot of unstudied pastors. A lot. You listen to guys who really are even some of the most popular preachers in America, and I can tell you the book they read where they got the stuff out of it, and they're just kind of adding some technology to it, and they are just unstudied. So many unstudied pastors and followers of Jesus are teaching people that the law is bad. What are they saying? Stay away from the Bible that Jesus read. But we call the Old Testament the Hebrew Scriptures. That's all Jesus had. So we're telling people stay away from that. That is so sad because that causes many people to avoid the Old Testament. What does that do? It does a couple things, but I'll just give you two. Um, it, it, it ruins their confidence in the Word of God. But another thing it does it holds so many people back from so much of the wisdom that is in the Hebrew Scriptures, that is in the Old Testament. It's been well said of this generation because of the Internet that we are a generation that is full of information but devoid of wisdom. We have all of this information, and it, it's coming in. It's People look on their phones constantly, 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 but people do not know what to do with it. So when you think of the word delight, if you delight in something, 
You're jacked up about something. Does that sound boring to you? See, to delight in something is far from dull living. This is, this is participating in the life-giving guidance of God himself to you. Let me just say that again. I don't want you to miss that, man. <laughs> this is the opportunity to participate in life-giving guidance from God specifically for you and your life. Now, this is an important distinction between religion and revelation. What do you mean by revelation? People, it's the last book of the Bible. No, revelation is the fact that God speaks. Religion is a lot of times what we do for God. Revelation is God speaking to us. This is also how we have a relationship with God. How does it work? Once you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the things of the Spirit, the Scripture tells us, are spiritually discerned. They're spiritually learned. And so in the Word of God, God speaks to us so we can live in harmony with Him. And at the same time, He teaches us how we can live out His will. Now, some of you are going, I'm just a kid, man. I'm, I'm in high school. Maybe. We don't even go to school anymore. I don't know what's going on with that. Well, here's, the, here's what the important thing is. God wants to teach you how to live out his will in high school. No matter what your job is, no matter what your role is in life, no matter where you are, God wants to meet with you, to love on you, and to give you specific counsel for you in how to live out his will. Religion is the opposite. Religion is like, I'll do it my way. Religion thinks that we can do it ourselves while, remember, Habakkuk, walking by faith, lives in close connection, lives in close relationship with the Lord. How? Through the word of God. So that's the filter we run every bit of counsel that comes into our lives through. We run the counsel through the word of the Lord. You say, I don't know the Bible that well. You're learning it now. That's what we do. That's why we have all this stuff available online. That's why we'll put resources in your hand. You're learning now. So verse 1, he said, godly people avoid wicked people. Wouldn't you think he would say in verse 2, right, that godly people avoid wicked people in verse 1. You would think in verse 2 he would say, godly people just hang out with godly people. They, they avoid the wicked, but they hang out with the godly people. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. You should do that. But that's not what he says. He is telling us what? That godly people become godly by meditating on God's law day and night. Now, in other words, what he's simply saying to us is, that when we delight in God's word, when we make it part of our life, a regular part of our diet, it becomes part of who we are. In other words, it's inside of us. It becomes our identity in God, and we live out that identity as we go about our lives. 
this shows us, and despite what people who are not followers of Jesus would say, they think that we're jumping out of the plane without a parachute. In other words, but the opposite is true. We actually have the parachute on because we know the plane is going down. That's that Ray Comfort illustration. Uh, and so, because we know the plane's going down, and who's the parachute? The parachute is Jesus. People think that we're just not thinking this stuff through, but people who think that way, even people who say they're Christians who think that way, right? They're like, oh, well, I just believe, I just believe. They don't realize that we believe in an evidential faith. And this shows us here the importance of the mind in the Christian life. We said it a couple of weeks ago. So many of us are letting our emotions drive our mind when the opposite needs to happen. Our mind needs to drive our emotions. Did you ever have it where you have an emotional reaction to something and then you have a little time to think about it and you're like, no, 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 I don't want to do it that way. See, what you're doing is you're allowing your mind now to control your emotions. And he's also showing us that the if you want to stay away from the counsel of the wicked, it's just not hanging out with your Christian friends because sometimes they're listening to the counsel of the wicked and they're actually sort of not knowing it, but they might be saying the same thing to you. If you want to avoid the counsel of the wicked, the advice of the ungodly, how do you do that? You stay immersed in the law of the Lord. You stay immersed in the word of God because that opposes the counsel of the wicked. So how does it work? Delight, meditation, leads to action. We might put it this way. We read the word of God. We ask God for understanding. We did a message a couple weeks ago from Psalm 1 on, on how to pray. You should go back and listen to it if you didn't hear it a few Wednesdays ago or, or listen to it again. Uh, we recite. The Jews often read out loud or they had to recite out loud because they didn't all have copies of the Bible. Reading the Bible out loud is very, very helpful. Very, very helpful. And we, So we read, we recite, and then we live for the Lord. And so, and so once again, we, we see that when we're internalizing things, right, when we're living for the Lord, that fights off so much of, of the stuff that's going on in our lives. Now, here's, I think, a mistake that a lot of us make. We think if I'm happy, if I'm blessed, I'm never going to be sad. That's not what he's talking about here. We're going to talk in a minute about a, about a tree. And, and he's talking about having deep, deep roots in God so the circumstances of your life don't undo your faith. This is a story some of you had heard, have heard before, but I'll just repeat it. Um, one month after 9-11, my dad, who I was very close to, passed away. We knew it was coming. It was not a surprise, but, but he passed away. And, and so... About another month or two after that, I happened to be going in for a physical to the doctor. And it was a new doctor that I'd only seen once before this time, and, or twice maybe before. And, and he says to me, are you okay? You're normally such an upbeat guy, and you just you seem kind of down. And I said, well, you know, it's not, it's not even so much the 9-11 the, the thing, but it was big. You know, it's kind of like we have now a lot of things converging at the same time. I said, you know, but my dad died, and I'm sad. And he said to me, well, let me write a prescription for you. That's something that, that, so you won't be sad. And I looked at him. I was just shocked. And I go, my dad died. I'm supposed to be sad. 
And he goes, I know, but, but you don't want to be sad. You, uh, so I want to give you something to help you not be sad. And I was like, I don't want anything not to be sad. I want to be sad. I want to miss my dad. That's part of loving someone is actually missing them. It doesn't mean that you're happy, go lucky all the time. Oh, I'm just so happy. I'm just so happy. And he goes, well, why don't you come back in a month? And then we'll see, you know, if you're still sad. And I said, I intend to still be sad in a month. And I intend to be sad the month after that. And the month after that. And the month after that. And don't bother telling, tell your lady out in the office when I'm going to rebook another appointment because I'm not coming back. Because if that's the kind of doctor you are, you're not the doctor for me. You're not the doctor for me. So we're not talking about never being sad. We're talking about a different way of living in which you can still be grounded and stable despite what's going on. Joshua. Pastor John taught on this recently. Joshua chapter 1. Joshua, Moses is dead. Now, you think most guys would be like, all right, I'm the leader now. <laughs> Not so. Joshua, Moses was one intimidating guy to follow. He's one of those guys, you know, I'm going to get to heaven, spend some time with Jesus. And I know a lot of people are going to be like, where's the apostle Paul? Where are the other apostles? Where's Peter? Where's John? Where's I'm going to be like, where's Moses? Because <laughs> I'm going to say, how did you do that? How did you lead those people with all of that constant complaining and not lose your faith? And so Moses, his mentor, was, was dead. And Joshua, God said, it's time to cross the Jordan. And Joshua needed strength. And listen to what the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe, or other versions say that you would be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus says this, John 8, 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to, those who, to the Jews who believed him, if you abide, what does it mean to abide? It means you, you stay close, you, you stay attached if you abide in my word, in other words, if you hold to my teaching, you are my disciples indeed. You are my followers indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make, or the truth shall set you free. Now we go back to Psalm 1, and verse 3 gives us a picture of this person. It's nice to have a picture, isn't it? I like, I like books with pictures. I like books with pictures. And it gives you a, gives you a picture. And I, I want to I read this twice. It says that he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. So let's go a little slower. He, who's he, the person who delights in the word of God, and in, as we'll see, the way of God, but that comes from the word of God. He shall be like a tree. It's a, tree is a common metaphor in the Bible, often talks about a tree of, of wisdom. Uh, planted, literally the word here means transplanted by the rivers. Some of your versions say streams of water that bring forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. So let's get the picture of what we're dealing with here. A gardener, a farmer, walks out 
and he sees one of his fruit trees is beginning to wither. It's very, very dry. So he digs it up, and he transplants it to a stream, a, a river, maybe an irrigation canal. And he transplants it from the dry land to the water, by the water, and it begins to grow and it begins to flourish. Now, obviously, the, the farmer, the gardener, is God. So it's God who gives this life and therefore this happiness. That's what we're talking about to his people. Based on verse 2, I would have to conclude that the water is the law of the Lord, the word of God. So happiness comes from absorbing and living out the word of God. Once again, there's a progression. Note the progression. He's planted. The idea is that taken, planted by the water, and then the roots begin to what? They don't begin to wither and shrivel up. They begin to grow, and the roots go down deep. Again, it's a life of stability. They're, then re they're being refreshed. The plant's being refreshed by the water. It's a picture of people. We're the plants. Refreshed by the water. Think of uh, vitality. Think of nourishment. Think of growth. And then it says, these plants, these people, bear fruit in its season. Now, I have to tell you that I find that little expression to be so incredibly helpful and encouraging. Why? Well, this whole thing I find very encouraging. Why? Because it tells me this, that I can always be refreshed by the Word of God. I can always be refreshed by the Word of God. And, and Jesus spoke about this. He talked about being refreshed by living water. He would even then go on to say that it, that's the Holy Spirit who's, who's given to us when we put our trust in Him. But also the expression, fruit in due season, it's very encouraging to me because I can always be refreshed, but fruit in due season or in its season tells me that I don't have to put the pressure on myself that I always have to be fruitful. I don't have to put the pressure on myself that I, that I have to always see a result of my being faithful. Do I always need to be faithful? Yes. Do you and I both need to be faithful? Yes. But sometimes people are faithful. You, you share with people, or maybe you disciple someone. You say, let's, let's spend a few weeks, and we'll go through the Bible together. Or maybe you spent a year with someone, and they walk away from the faith. You see, that you say, well, I'm not fruitful, so I'm not going to bother with that anymore. No, no, this tells us here that you can always be refreshed. You can always be faithful, but God determines if and when you're going to be Fruitful. So the seasons belong to God. Man, I, I absolutely love that. Jesus said this, John 15, 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me, he who stays close to me, attached to me, and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And so the idea is as we abide in the word of God, we will be empowered 
by God to live for God. He says, without me, you can do nothing. He says that it will be fruit in its season. In other words, your part, my part, is to do our part, to be faithful, but to leave the results up to God. Once again, fruitfulness comes from Jesus. It does not come from me. Fruitfulness comes from Jesus. It does not come from you. We're faithful. He produces fruitfulness. Now, some of you need to just stop right now and breathe that in and just go, Because some of you are putting so much pressure on yourselves that you have to be fruitful, that you're not enjoying being faithful because you think you're this massive failure. Well, how, how do you know if it's going the right way? Well, look what's next in the progression. It says, you shall not wither. So, so what does it mean? whether it's a fruitful season or a non-fruitful season, because you're being nourished, you're being refreshed by the water of the Word, by the Word of God, you keep the faith. You keep the faith. You don't wither. You stay at it. You endure. You don't quit. You see, when you're rooted deeply in God and refreshed in God, you're happy and you're blessed. Why? Because the whole world around you can be spinning out of control, yet you are deeply rooted in God. Deeply rooted. You are not dependent upon your circumstances to be happy, to be blessed. So if you hear those words coming out of your mouth, I know I'm going to tick off a lot of people here. doesn't matter. Email one of the other pastors, Okay. Here's the deal. If you find yourself going, well, I'm just not happy, it's on you. I know that hurts, but it's something we all have to face. It is on us. Finally, he says, whatever he does, he shall prosper. Now, this grieves, grieves my soul that for about the last 75 years, so much of the church has bought into the fact that lines, words like this, people will just take this out of context and they'll say that it means that you will be rich. Now, in order to make that case from the Psalms, you have to, adjo uh, you have to dismiss a lot of the other Psalms. Because in a lot of the other Psalms, the Psalmists who are real say, why do the wicked prosper? It also ignores what God is teaching us here in this Psalm. God is teaching us here in this psalm is that true prosperity is found in not withering. True happiness is found in being a well-watered tree with deep roots that is able to handle what's going on in life. You know, they say for every 99 people who can handle poverty, there's only one person who can handle wealth. Very, very few people can handle wealth because most people, it actually changes who they are. So prosperity is in not withering. It is bearing fruit 
in season and God's season. Now, here's a quiz. I know you know the answer to this. Who does a tree bear fruit for? If a tree holds on to the fruit for itself, what happens to the fruit? Turns rotten, falls to the ground, feeds the yellow jackets, right? It dies. A tree bears fruit for other people. That is a key, another key to experiencing happiness. Well, now number two and three will go quickly. Number two, true happiness is not found in ungodly living. True happiness is not found in ungodly living. Verse 4 and 5. The ungodly, some verses say wicked, are not so. (laughs) Some the old-time versions say this. Not so the ungodly. Not so. (laughs) Like, no way, those guys. So the ungodly are not so. Right? What are they not so? They're, they're, They're not like the deep rooted, faithful tree planted by the stream. What are they like? But, contrast, they are like the chaff which the wind drives away or blows away. Verse 5, therefore the ungodly shall not stand, some versions say survive, in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation or the assembly of the righteous. Who are the, who's the assembly of the righteous? The congregation of the righteous is the true people of God. Like, what in the world is he talking about here? Well, during harvest time, the farmers would take the grain And then they would take it to something called a threshing floor, sometimes on the side of a mountain, a flat area or something like that, and they would crush it. And then they would take this thing, a winnowing fan, they would take this instrument and they would throw the, uh, after they would crush the grain, they would throw it up in the air and the seed or the good part, the grain, would fall back down to the floor. But the useless part, the shell or the chaff, as they called it, would blow away in the wind. And so they would just keep doing this and doing this and doing this. It would just be a way of sifting, if you will. That's maybe what we would call it. And And they would just blow away. And God's saying that's what happens to the ungodly. They just get blown away. Now notice here, there is no progression with them. Harvest comes, they're blown away. But while there is no progression, there is a contrast here with the godly. The godly are deep-rooted, and the chaff, or the wicked, are blown away. The godly are watered, and the wicked are dry. The godly are fruitful, and the ungodly are worthless. The godly are alive. The ungodly are dead. The godly are valuable, and the ungodly serve no purpose. They are, they are not valuable. The godly are enduring, and the ungodly are not. Again, we fast forward to the New Testament. Um, Matthew chapter 3. John the Baptist used this imagery when talking about when Jesus comes to judge the world, what we call the second coming. He says, verse 12, Matthew 3, 12, his winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. That's heaven. That's the good news. But 
contrast, bad news, he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. What's that? That's hell. So it's very interesting, the the contrast here. Verse 1, the psalmist says that the godly does not stand in the path of sinners, but in verse 5, it says that the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, shall not stand in the assembly of the righteous. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, or maybe you'd say today, I think I'm a follower, but I know that I'm on the wrong path. I know that I'm wandering this actually might scare you. And let me tell you in love, that's okay. Sometimes being afraid or having the fear of the Lord, in fact, most times, is the the beginning of something brand new for your life. See, this is a call. I, I know you might think, oh my gosh, I, I'm gonna be on the, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be burned up chaff. No, 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 no. This is a call to be wheat. This is a call to you to come to Jesus. You say, how do you know? Because if you're sensing fear or you're sensing Jesus calling you, if you, you were listening to that first part and you're thinking, that's what I want from my life, understand this, that people who don't care about God don't care about God. <laughs> and when God calls they rarely hear it. And if they do, they immediately turn it off. In fact, right now, they're clicking their button on me. They're like, oh, I'm going to go listen to something more positive and uplifting. You see, for the chaff, for the ungodly, from God's perspective, their future is not filled with happiness at all because they are not part of the congregation of the righteous. They are not part of the heaven-bound people of God who have received righteousness. Remember we say we, we receive gift of happiness from God by the word of God come, becoming plant, deeply planted in us. Same thing, we receive our righteousness from Jesus. Now here's the sad part. A lot of people are going to find out at the end, and we learned this in Matthew's gospel, that, that they thought that they were part of the congregation of the righteous, but they were not. Here he's talking to Jewish people who were, who were, we talk now about church people. These were temple people. They found out at the end in the judgment that they were actually not part of God's people. Why? Because they did not put their trust in the Lord. And what is one of the byproducts or the results of someone who puts their trust in the Lord? They delight in the law of the Lord. So if you don't delight in the Word of God, I hope you're hearing and seeing today on this 4th of July weekend like fireworks, I hope you see the missiles coming across the bow of your boat. Not designed to sink you, but telling you if you don't change your course, you're going to sink. Well, that takes us to number three. True happiness is found in the destination of the godly. Verse 6, for for the Lord knows the way or watches over the righteous. Interesting that the Christian church was early on, it'll come centuries later, was early on, was called the way. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Isaiah talked about God's way. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. Other versions say the way of the ungodly. The ungodly shall be led to destruction or be destroyed. Both they and their way will meet their demise. So clearly, God has outlaid for us, laid out for us two different paths. There's only two ways to live. Either you're a follower of Jesus or a follower of self. And each path leads to a different destination. Here is the absolute key question. Which path do you choose? Which path do you choose? The greatest wisdom preacher of all time put it this way. Jesus, Matthew chapter 7, Sermon on the Mount, verses 13 and 14. He said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. That would be hell. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. That would be eternal life. life that would be heaven. And there are few who find it. And then later on in the chapter, he closes the chapter by saying, you, you can know which, really, which path you're on by what you're building your life on. Are you building your life on the rock? Or are you doing it the easy way? You, you building your life on the sand? John 3, 36. John writes, he who believes, that would mean to put your trust in Jesus and receive him, receive him as your Lord and Savior. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son, does not put his trust in Jesus, shall not see life. Again, when the Bible talks about life, it's talking about eternal life. But the wrath of God, the judgment for sins, abides on him. It's still attached to him, the judgment of God. See, when you put your trust in Jesus, the, your sin, the judgment of God is attached to Jesus. It abides, if you will, on Jesus. So the way of the righteous, the godly way, is the way of loving God and desiring to live for Him. And the way of the ungodly, of the unrighteous, is not. It is to live for themselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3 says this. The Apostle Paul says, but if anyone, that would be anyone, that's you, my non-Christian friend, if anyone loves God, this one is known by him, which attaches an incredible importance to any follower of Jesus that he has in God, or she has in God's eyes. For a follower of Jesus, God knows you. We often talk about, do you know God? More important, that God knows you as his own son or daughter. And not only does God know you, he keeps on knowing you. God is with you. And not only is he just with you now, he is always with you. God cares. He talks about the way. God cares about every step that you take. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus... I want to just, just take a moment to explain to you that God cares about one step in particular you take, that if you take a step now, you can end up taking the right step 
for the rest of your life and on into eternity. Very famous verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, that would be hell, but have everlasting life. That would be heaven. So when he says this, he said, he gave, he, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, his only one and only son, his beloved son, there's your cross, that whoever believes in him, negative won't go to hell, but positive will, go, will be adopted by God and will go to heaven. That tells you that God would give his son for you. That tells you how important God thinks your final step out of this life will be. He, he gave Jesus to you so you could put your trust in him now. So your final step in this life will be a step out of this life and into eternity with God. That's how important your way is to him. That's how important your steps are to him. What is involved in that step to eternal happiness? Well, we have to be transplanted from, from the dryness to the well-watered stream. We have to be transplanted by the great gardener of heaven. We have to be owned by the gardener of heaven because Jesus paid for us on the cross. He now owns us. And that eternal happiness is not just something that's in the next life. That eternal happiness is something that starts right now that we learned about in verses 1 through 3. Why is this so important? Because the bad news is that we have all walked in the counsel of the ungodly. That we, the bad news is that we have all walked in the path of sinners. And here's the really bad news. Sometimes we've been the leader of the pack. Sometimes we've been the one who have influenced other people for evil. But there is really, really good news. As much as we have all failed in this, and you read throughout the Bible, there's just one person after another who fails at this, who fails at this. Decent people, God-fearing people, they continue to fail. They follow the wrong path. But the good news is there has been one who never did. And the person of Jesus of Nazareth, God became a man and came to earth and lived a perfect life in your place, died on the cross for your sins, and to prove that God was satisfied, he raised him from the dead and now offers all people everywhere the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, adoption into the kingdom of God, and all you need to do is turn from living the way of the ungodly, that path, turn to God and say, God, I want you and I want your ways and put your trust in Jesus Christ. How do you take the next step into heaven? Jesus told us, John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. You see, no matter the conditions of your life, no matter the circumstances of your life, 
once you become a follower of Jesus, there will always be refreshment available. There will always be nourishment available. There will always be living water available for your thirsty soul. There will always be rest available. And when we avail ourselves of that, and a lot of times we don't, but when we avail ourselves of that, that is the way of finding true happiness. Friend, if you are not a follower of Jesus, I pray that you would walk through that door today. If you would say, I am a follower of Jesus, but I've wandered, I pray that you would come home today to Jesus. And if you're enduring, by the grace of God, I pray that you would stay at it until you see his face. Let's pray.